We heard last week how Methuen had been roundly defeated at the Battle of Marcusfontein and had withdrawn his force back to the Moda River. Northeast across South Africa and in the province of Natal, the commander of the British troops, Sir Redverse Buller, was preparing to face his own sword of Damocles. The second terrible battle of Black Week in December 1899 was about to break upon the shores of the British Empire, courtesy of the Boers. And this story has diverse voices, including Mahatma Gandhi, as we'll see. We turn to the attempt to reach Ladysmith, where 13,000 men were stranded, and on the way to the town, along the railway line, there lies a small village called Colenso. As with other battles of the 19th century, like Shiloh or Harper's Ferry in the U.S. Civil War, a small town can be etched into memory forever, and so it was at Colenso. Leading the British army into its next catastrophe was a man loved by his soldiers as a tough, uncompromising symbol of British daring and courage, Sir Redverse Buller. He had dawdled along, worrying about his men and their canteens and medical support. Unfortunately, the equipment of a field hospital about which Buller bothered so much was based on tabulated forms which were meant to cover any possible contingency in every climate. So tons of material were dragged around which would have been handy in the Arctic, but useless in South Africa. Furthermore, they were being slowed down by obsolete medical instruments. Some medicines had been in the bottles for 20 years. That didn't stop Buller's men loving him for his care and making sure these cloudy bottles arrived anyway. He told his officers they'd be in Ladysmith by Christmas. They cheered. Buller gathered his large force of 20,000 men in the tiny town of Freer, which had a station master's hut, a small telegraph office, and a small shop. The Boers had trashed the town before moving north to the Colenso Hills, burning books, stuffing clocks upside down in flower pots, and setting fire to photographs. Into this camp rode Buller on his horse called Ironsides to join his 20,000 men. The very sight of this big red-faced man striding around the camp once he dismounted made them all happy. He could be blunt and bloody-minded. He wasn't your typical red-tape general, but he couldn't save his men from the dust. It was everywhere. A grey dust that swirled in the 35-degree heat and swamped the soldiers as they sat in their tents. Buller had ridden into this dusty hell early in the morning of the 6th of December and immediately opened a bottle of champagne. Stories circulated amongst his men that the general liked to empty his glass within the sound of the enemy guns. If that was the case, there was going to be a lot of glass emptying going on shortly. And immediately Buller began fulminating on how to attack the Boers, who were the other side of the mighty Tugela River. One option was straight through, up the line, the railway line, to Colenso. The main road through the town was surrounded by steep canyons and thick scrub, perfect for the Boers. But an alternative was a flanking manoeuvre, and Buller wrote to the war minister, I can turn it by going across the Tugela at Porchita's Drift, some fifteen miles up the river, and should have better ground to advance. In other words, 
a classic flanking action. He was also advised to do so by the local Natal colonists who had organised a corps of black soldiers to guard the British army and they said this route was best, the flanking manoeuvre. Buller had stared at Colenso through a powerful telescope and said a direct attack across the open felt would be too costly. The approach from the south was dead flat, without cover, and the north bank of the Tugela in that area was commanded by a line of kopis fortified by the Boers. But from Portita's Drift, 25 kilometres north, it was an easier crossing, with the ramparts of the hills set further back from the river, and once across, and over these hills, it was downhill all the way to Ladysmith. However, other details were hard to get. Every time the British sent reconnaissance out on horseback, the Boers tracked and hunted them down like wild animals, killing them one by one. Eventually, the British stopped sending these small scouting units out because most didn't come back. Buller considered the tactical difficulties of a flanking attack. For one, he needed 400 ox wagon teams and 1,000 black drivers, and his all-important divisional field hospital would have been over 40 kilometres behind the action. Imagine having to carry dying men that far. He would also have to leave a brigade of around 2,000 behind at Chivoli on the railway line to defend against a Boer diversionary attack. Just to confuse the slightly confused Buller further, General White, who was besieged in Ladysmith, said he could send one of his all-important cavalry units as a flying column to a place called Onabruk, which means underpants in English, just as an aside. But that was behind the Chigella in a more direct approach, not close to Port Gita's thrift. Buller, already a vacillator, now vacillated in overdrive. He fretted and he frothed. In a letter, he said he was trying to make one of the most difficult decisions of his career. General White was also finding it difficult communicating with his commanding officer. Apart from the countryside, the heliograph, which was a kind of mirror that was used to flash signals using sunlight, as well as the carrier pigeon, Author Thomas Packenham notes that there was also a mountain of resentment between these two men. Remember, it was White who had ignored Buller's command not to go north of the Jigella River and had ended up besieged in Ladysmith, thus ruining the entire British battle plan. We'll address the Boer preparations for this symbolic battle in a moment, but just to explain further how things were going on the British side. Lieutenant General Sir Francis Clary was the nominal commander at the tent city of Freer, who had insisted that Buller travel from Cape Town to join him over a thousand kilometres away in Natal. The war office had preferred Buller remain in Cape Town to direct both the relief missions to Kimberley in the Cape and Ladysmith in Natal from the port of Cape Town. Clary, as well, had not performed in response to Louis Buter's raid into Natal, where Clary was routed back to escort by a force a quarter of his size. Another commander of the British contingent needs our attention. Colonel Charles Long of the artillery, an intrepid gunner who believed in taking his 15-pound guns right up under the noses of the enemy. 
He'd done so with great success in the Sudan at Omdurman, which is north of the historic capital Khartoum. But there his enemy didn't have cannon with which to fire back, nor did they have the highly effective Mauser bolt-action rifle. And don't forget, it was Colonel Long who sent the train north to Freer carrying Winston Churchill, amongst others, just a few weeks ago, an action labelled by Buddha as unconceivably stupid. Unfortunately for Colonel Long and his men, the depths of his stupidity were to be further explored. For he now wanted to redeem himself by some magnificent action in battle. Clary had two staff officers who were also causing issues. The first was Prince Christian Victor, a favourite grandson of Queen Victoria. He had been sent back to Durban because Clary was afraid the Boers would kill him and he had been complaining of being badly treated. But the death of a European prince was fresh in everyone's minds. The French prince imperial, Napoleon III's heir, had been killed by the Zulus in 1879 while serving in a flying column of which Buller was one of the leaders. No one wanted the bad PR of another prince butchered by Africans. They didn't want one of Queen Victoria's offspring to die by the hand of the Boers, which is understandable. The second embarrassment was a little more complex, the kind of person that was parodied in many a Monty Python skit. He was Lieutenant Frederick Roberts, the only son of the famous Field Marshal Roberts. We'll spend much time in coming podcasts following his father, the Field Marshal, as he marched across South Africa and eventually ordered the construction of the much-hated concentration camps. But it's his son that interests us now. Freddie Roberts was a delightful fellow. However, he was also as thick as two bricks. That summer, for instance, he'd failed the staff office entrance examination by a record margin. His field marshal father groveled that his son should be allowed in any way, but he was refused. The British commander-in-chief of the army, Walsley, said that should Freddie show some kind of gallantry in action, then the rejection may be reconsidered. Freddie was part of the British component awaiting the orders to attack either Port Hitter's Drift or Colenso. But will he survive and make his dad proud? We'll see. So Buller was fulminating in the final phase of his plan, although he had been buffeted by both the Marcusfontein debacle and Methuen's failed attempt at relieving the siege of Mafeking and the incident at Storenbach, south of Kimberley, over a thousand kilometres away, which we haven't yet discussed in any length, but need to mention. Storenbach means Stormy Mountain, which is an apt name considering what happened to the British troops there. At Stonenbach, Lieutenant General Gattaker, or Backacre, as he was known to his men, bungled a fairly simple affair. Gattaker was what you'd call a fitness fanatic. He would ride 20 kilometres before breakfast, do push-ups and star jumps, and then believed physical toil developed character. His men were not impressed as they toiled physically, thus naming him Backacre, which wasn't a term of affection. So after marching his men all day on the 11th of December 1899, he made them attack a Boer position that night, which is a bit thoughtless. The result? Nearly 700 of his men were dead, wounded or captured. That news stunned Buller on the other side of the country. 
He was already in a desperate state of mind. Gattaca had bungled. Remember, this was shortly before the terrible loss the British were to suffer at Marcusfontein. Still, Buller decided to follow the master plan and began moving his brigades towards Port Drift on the Tugela, 25 kilometers away. Then he sent a telegram to his chum, Gattaca, saying, I'm sorry to hear your bad luck. But his tone changed the next day, on the 12th of December 1899, when he heard about Methuen's crushing loss at Marcusfontein, and made worse by Methuen's telegram, which read, Our loss is great. Stop. Possibility that further advance is questionable, but shall endeavour to hold my own and keep my communications secure. Stop. To which Buller replied, Fight or fall back. Stop. But Methuen did neither. He dithered. Buller vacillated, drank champagne, strode about muttering, stroking his giant moustache. He was all to pieces, he wrote of Methuen, but the same could be said of himself. Suddenly, Buller made a decision. He had been speaking to Lord Alfred Milner, the British governor, who had warned that the Cape Afrikaners would rise up in support of the Boers, and that he should move swiftly to deal with the Boers inland. Now Gattaca and Methuen's armies in the Cape were toothless, and that scared both Milner and Buller. Buller then did a 180-degree turn and ordered his men back to the banks of the Tugela near Colenso, instead of further away at Port Heater's Drift. Around 19,000 men moved into position on the plain below the hills of Colenso, and watching this spectacle were the nervous forces of the Boers. They'd never seen so much firepower in such a small space. And on the 13th of December, the British guns began to open fire on the hills of Colenso as part of the initial barrage, the sound and experience causing real fear in the Boer force. The only problem was the British were shelling the wrong area, but that didn't matter to those on the strategic hill of Hlangwani. The Boer force there was not in the line of fire, but the Boers on Hlangwani shuddered, panicked, and then retreated. Had the British realised at that point it was not defended, the result would have been catastrophic for the Boers. Well, such is the reality of history. The mere noise of the bombardment and the scene of thousands of British moving into position led the Sotbansberg and Boxburg commandos to flee Hlangwani Hill. They rode across the little iron wagon bridge over the Tugela River, basically absconding from their important position, and told General Louis Boerter that the hill was untenable. Boerter then sent a telegram to Transvaal President Paul Kruger back in Pretoria, explaining what had happened. Remember, the Boer commanders were operating as separate cells, quite similar actually to the Taliban, for example, in a kind of guerrilla army formation. The action would have been called treason in the British army. However, in the Boer military, each leader had the right to lead his men as they saw fit, whether to come or go. So on the 13th of December 1899, President Kruger sent a telegram to General Boerter, commander of the Boer forces in Natal, and he said in Dutch, and please forgive my accent, God zal voor u strijden, en als kop behouden blieft, doet of levend, dan behoort hier alles. Or in English, God shall thus fight for you. If you hold the hill dead or alive, you hold everything.
Butter called a second council of war on the evening of the 13th of December, where some officers were in favour of abandoning the entire Tugela River line. Butter had to find some way of defending the river and keeping his army intact, so he gave in to the Boxburg commander on Tlangwani, but not to retreat from the Tugela. Well, another of these historic moments now occurs. A leader far away sums up the situation possibly better than those on the ground. And in a moment of greatness, President Paul Kruger wrote his men a second telegram which read, Gentlemen, I have received the report that you gave up position. Understand, please, if you give up position there, you give up the whole land to the enemy. Please stand fast, dead or alive, each man at his place, and fight in the name of the Lord. The cop, and Kruger meant Tlangwani, on the other side of the river must not be given up, because then all hope is gone with it. If you give up position and surrender country to England, where will you go then? It was 24 hours since the strategically vital Flangwani Hill had been abandoned, but the British didn't know. At the Third Council of War early the next day, the Boer officers then reversed their decision and lots were drawn. After sunset, 800 men from the Wackerström and Standerton commandos were sent back across the Little Iron Bridge to reoccupy Langwani. These commandos would cause carnage in the British ranks. Louis Butter, though, was exhausted. He'd spent 38 hours without sleep, but managed a short telegram back to Kruger with the good news. They were back on Langwani. Of course, the British had no idea at all about how close they'd come to seizing what was to be a crucial area of high ground. The coming Battle of Colenso will be destructive, causing thousands of casualties and was life-changing for all those involved. We'll hear about the final entrenchments and some technical details next week and the result of a head-first march by the British towards Tugela. We'll also hear about what fate awaits Colonel Long. Freddie Roberts, Louis Boerter, and, believe it or not, Mahatma Gandhi. Very few people know about the crucial role Gandhi played in the Anglo-Boer War as part of the medical support. Gandhi had already formed the Indian Ambulance Corps in Natal, composed of 300 free and 800 indentured labourers sent by their employers, and was actually on his way to help in the Battle of Colenso. He and his men would arrive on the very day the Battle of Colenso took place, December the 15th, 1899, to help the dead and dying. Some of his future politics were to be directly affected by these two days in the 19th century and form part of his future non-violent tactic to defeat British imperialism more than four decades later, after the Second World War. So join me, your host, Des Latham, next week for episode 13 of the Anglo-Boer War. Please rate this podcast on iTunes, and if you want to discuss any of the episodes with me, feel free to send a direct message on Twitter, at Des Latham. Goodbye. <laughs> O bring me terug naar jou transval, daar waar mijn sarebo.